This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 622 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Two more views of Harley. Let's play a game on Danger Street, Cornell's back at the con, and building a super baby-proof home. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, August 20th, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just to remind you, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Harley Quinn, Black and White and Redder, number two, by Thompson, Wu, Brandt, Stein, Parrot, and Vecchio. More oversaturation of Harley Quinn at DC. We will be talking about two of her three books. There was another one we didn't read? Oh, my goodness. It's her regular series. Oh. This one is in the same model as Batman Black and White, an anthology series featuring mostly monochromatic hues. In this case, red is used as an accent. Origin Stories for Dummies has Harley has kidnapped Zatanna, bringing her to their shared penthouse with Ivy. Perhaps this is within the Max series continuity? Z is gagged until Harley has a chance to explain what she wants, a real origin story that doesn't leave her as Joker's mall. Quinn relates that, when she goes to her favorite watering hole, every reference to her involves the clown prince of crime. So, Zatanna is tasked, in turn, to change her origin to be more like Batman, becoming more brooding, Superman becoming more heroic, and then going through Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. That was Z's choice, not Harley's. Every time she returns to the bar, but all the talk is about Joker. Ivy and Zatanna explain that it only matters what she thinks of herself, and if others keep talking Joker, she can always beat them to a pulp. Great Perspectations. We're at the annual Gotham Pet Show, with the winners being announced. The League of Super Pets! Crypto, Bat Cow, Jumpa, an Amazon kangaroo-like creature, Bids, a squirrel-like GL, and Bitewing, a corgi dressed like Nightwing. But hold it, Harley arrives with her hyenas, Bud and Lou, demanding a recount. To even things up, she introduces the Legion of Duminals, the Squiddler, an octopus with a question mark, Barkside, an apocalyptic mutt, Dexstar, a cat-like red lantern, and the koala, a koala dressed like an Amazon. I have to tell you, I really loved Barkside. (laughs) There's a series of contests, and the Super Pets win with teamwork. In the end, there's a fight, which Harley stops. She's given a prize, worst in show. Coffee and pie, oh my. Harley's in a diner, sitting across from Jim Gordon. He's there to arrest her, but is giving Harley a chance to explain what she did. She attacks some cops at the diner, with the waitress corroborating this. Gordon brings up some earlier events, including when Joker shot Barbara. I had nothing to do with that, but your boyfriend did. 
He says things go very badly when she and Joker are together. But love, it makes you do crazy things. When Gordon asks what she's doing back in Gotham, she responds by asking him why he stays there. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Harley uses her psychiatric training to note that maybe because he's lost everything else. Oh, and the cops she roughed up? They were crooked, shaking down that neighborhood. Harley is escorted out, and Gordon asks the waitress again what happened. It's inferred it happened just as Harley said. Harley escapes, but not before getting an answer from Gordon, his favorite pie. It's strawberry rhubarb. Harley's is store-bought pumpkin with gobs of whipped cream. Motiversity, Harley Screws Up the DCU, 6 of 6, by Thierry and Faber. The storyline, Harley is given a time machine and accidentally uses it to wipe out DC's heroes, allowing Starro to win his invasion. She then meets an older Harley, and they work to undo what she did. Now, older Harley is dying in Quinn's arms, explaining her marching orders were coming from a mysterious benefactor. She gives Harley the tools to complete the work and notes that the older Quinn won't exist if she's successful. After old Harley dies, Harley turns to the Starro Suicide Squad there to kill her. It doesn't go well for them. Red Tool, a Deadpool parody, now Starroed, tries to take her out in the time machine, and she proceeds to push him out into the multiverse with a funky splash page. We then proceed through some time fixes, putting out Martian Manhunter, who she had earlier set afire while roasting s'mores, and a lot of others that we don't see, assumedly due to this mini getting reduced in length. She then returns to the scene of the crime, helping her older self get free of Starro's influence in the first place, because that's the way it happened. So it's back to Coney Island, right? Nope. She reappears in a Harley-shaped spaceship in the bleed. She was brought there by the Council of Quinn. Harleys from throughout the multiverse. Hyena Harley, Injustice Harley, Harley Classic, Old Lady Harley, Bombshell Harley, and Zombie Harley. Okay, Mark, I have a question. So we've seen this, the council of people. Yeah. Um, The first time I remember seeing it is in the Legends of Tomorrow with the council of... um, With the Time Masters? No, the the guy who came... uh, Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember the name. Has that been a concept before that, do you know? I think... Where they have the Council of all the people from the multiverse, like the Council of Flashes, or... I think it may actually be originally a Marvel reference, Uh, I suspect, but I don't... I I can't say where it came from. I'm I'm sure it came from the comics. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just I've been... It's been popping up a lot lately in Mm -hmm. things that I'm seeing, so... So these Harleys are the mysterious benefactors, making sure the real Harley fixed things. Now, Harley notes that if they had not given her a time machine, she would never have screwed up things in the first place. So it's their fault, which it is. She returns to the time machine to go home, and they men in black her to remove memories of the events. Back to Coney Island, where there's a big reunion. Quinn smacks Red Tool for his trouble. What the heck did I do this time? She destroys the time machine, but there's plenty more where that came from. Booster Gold drops by the council to see if there's anything he can do, but they are good to go. Everything is fixed, except Aquaman was never returned to continuity, showed by monitors with various scenes, all with an Aquaman-shaped hole in them. Oh, well. Danger Street, Book 8 from DC Black Label by King Fornays and Stewart. The Ogre and the Princess, a.k.a. Jack Ryder and Lady Cop, meet for dinner. It's not a date. Jack notes he doesn't drink. I'm just a control freak. But she gets him to open up. 
They talk about Superman, and she relates a story from college. A crazy man broke into her dorm and started killing people. She whispered for Superman to save them. He's supposed to hear you, right? Super ears? But Superman never arrived. She hid under the bed, hearing and seeing the whole thing. That day, I decided to be a cop. Jack replies that heroes are still human. Well, the ones that are human. Perhaps he was tied up with Darkseid, like of the moon? No, he's a god, a new god that superheroes have to fight all the time. Jack does get sloshed and reveals what he knows about the Commodore. He traded a diamond arm for Fate's helmet, and that's where the diamond she found at the scene of the crime came from. She helps him leave the restaurant, and he chooses that point to turn into the Creeper. Lady Cop decks him. What is wrong with everyone? Meanwhile, the Dingbats are in jail, along with Warlord. They keep asking Cop Cooper what time it is, and we learn why. There's a huge explosion in one of the cells, and Cooper rushes to see what happened, only for another explosion to go off behind him. It's a breakout. We cut to the Commodore, who's trying to put a straw in a juice box. We get an update on Abdul, who disappeared off a beach. Is he dead? Codename Assassin assumes he is, which means the Commodore is next. Assassin also resolves the juice box issue. He knows that Manhunter is coming and asks for the diamond arm to help protect himself. Commodore is concerned he'll just run away and sell it, but Assassin isn't in it for the money. Later, Assassin uses mental power to turn the arm into a sword. Meanwhile, Simon of the Green Team tells us a story. He and his friends had a playground game which involved walking across the blacktop using cracks with weeds growing up through them. If you crossed successfully, you were on the green team for the day. And if not, you were part of the outsiders. A mysterious adult with a familiar bowling bag came by one day and said, I wonder in the next round, what if the children, what if I gave something to the winners and losers? One side gets a dream come true, the other a nightmare. They all play, and the man, who happens to have the helmet of fate, hands out remuneration at the end. Are we to assume this is what made the green team rich and the outsiders mutants? Simon finishes his tale to the outsiders while they prep for the final battle with plans to use Warlord's sword. Looks like the manhunters are joining them. Speaking of Warlord, he escaped alongside the Dingbats and he and Starman reunite. Michael is woozy and has been out of it for days. Warlord isn't happy that the Digmats kept this from him, but they just want to escape. I was king of Skataris. Armies begged for mercy before me, and maidens clawed for my attention. I was a god, but with a sword and a pistol. Hey, do you like grapes? Another roundup of our players ends the issue. To be continued. Con and on, number two from Ahoy Comics by Cornell and Cresta. Paul Cornell's thinly veiled remembrance of San Diego Comic-Con continues. It's now 2001. An industry mag, the Comic Book Comet, has their own yacht to entice new creatives. It would be the last year of that yacht. Deja and her friends check in and get weekend tickets for the con. Deja's friends? Tamika, who would later have a comic design startup funded by Deja, and Nichelle, who now runs Deja's Spa. The goal? Get Deja a commission. Back at the local bar, the UK creators are hanging out again. The bartender is wearing a themed shirt from one of their projects, and they become weary. 
The bartender is incensed, saying she wants what they want to keep the comic book freaks out of the bar. She goes off to change the shirt, and the Grant Morrison-esque creator goes to comfort her. Back at the con, the two little kids from the last issue are now older teens, with plans to get into an exclusive party to spot celebs, especially Jeff Kent, now a bigger star with a recurring role on Charmed. He's still doing the bit of walking among the plebes while wearing a mask. His agent says this will be the last year he can get away with that. Eddie is at the Cosmic Comics panel telling his tale of rags to riches, but it's really about the work. There's an in-real-life meeting of the rec.arts.cartoonists group, and Deja and her buds are there. She remembers being awestruck back in 1992, but now suggests they leave when it becomes clear that the ladies aren't welcome. A group of security guards are given their final marching orders. If one of these kids tries to tell you about Batman, you say, That's not the real Batman, kid. That TV guy, Biff, Pow, Sock, that's the real Batman. You remembered my lecture. Eddie and Deja run into each other, and when Eddie offers to make it right by taking her to get her portfolio reviewed at Cosmic, her friends are shocked when she says yes. The editor reviews the portfolio and notes it's all funny animals. Draw any superheroes? I just do what I do. Well, there you are then. If you can't do it, you can't do it. Good luck with your work. Later outside the hall, her friends ask Deja if you're going to keep going, not unless something changes. Jeff Kent has his own panel now. Good morning, mortal scum. The UK creators show up at the cosmic party. Eddie is warned to make the most of this opportunity. There's no apprenticeship here. Nobody has time to train you. This is about what you do for us. Good luck, kid. Eddie has a strange drink and vomits outside. Not Grant Morrison calls Annie to talk. It really feels like a you-had-to-be-there kind of story. Yeah, although I do have to say, since it's from Ahoy, there's some good short fiction in it. And speaking of Ahoy, Second Coming, Trinity Number no. 5 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Pace, Kirk, and Troy. We begin with Sheila reporting on camera from a fire at her own apartment. I'm reasonably sure we had renter's insurance. Sunstar flies in to save his son and grandma. My husband, I mean, the boy's father, has agreed to take precautions to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Cut to Jesus, starting a session at the Church of Jesus Christ Latchkey Kid. He explains to the group that religion has become a form of entertainment, that your salvation was dependent on picking the right team, that there was a price of admission which, once paid, absolved you from any actual work on becoming a better human being. But if you're here, it's probably because you suspect you've been lied to. He explains that if you're not interested in getting better, you should go to a funeral home. Unfortunately, his speech is interrupted by an overflowing toilet. His parishioners scatter. Back to Sunstar, who's at the opening of a brand new fireproof house for his family. They decide to keep their boy Jordan in the playroom, but Grandma brings him out to see the crowd. The tyke vaporizes the area. Jesus' new disciple and Sheila drink some wine while sitting in the new living room. It has a unique aesthetic. You can say it. We're living on the set of the Flintstones. When asked what it's like to be a disciple, she replies, It's like being a chauffeur, except that I no longer get tips. Jesus and Sunstar check on Jordan, currently tearing apart the playroom. Jesus tells the story of him leaving his mother, who's gone from worrying what Jesus will do to the world, to worrying what the world will do to Jesus. He winds up the talk with, The only way for Jordan to have a life is for him to leave home. 
perhaps the planet Trinity, which, if you remember, is where Sunstar gets his haircuts as he has no powers there. Sunstar pushes Jesus to the ground, then has to hold back Sheila when she hears the proposal. Look, Jesus means well, so did the Unabomber. But there's a more pressing problem. Jordan punched a hole in the wall and flew away. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.